This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Welcome to EMS 2020. All right, I finished my muffin. Hey, everybody, welcome to EMS 2020. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> no, still it. Go ahead. Go on. You don't want to yeah. hear the joke. Yeah, it's kind of like, no, nah, man, go ahead with your joke, but it's been like. <laughs> All right. Um... <laughs> I don't care. We're rolling with this. It's kind of, so what just happened there, everybody is um, we started this and I was eating a muffin and I was kind of quietly hoping that I would have enough time just getting everything started to finish my muffin before uh, I actually had to speak. And I told Spencer this. And Spencer, being the saint that he is, offered to help me out. So he started opening everything. And then I went ahead and went. And um, yeah, here we are. Now you guys know all about my muffin. Yep. Are you, are you just going to be just a limp fish for the rest of the episode now? <laughs> like, this is just... That's, that's it. That's it, dude. This is you. I'm just... Yeah. You'll be like, Spencer, what do you want to do? I don't know. Eat a muffin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, guys. So, we're going to fill this space with a little bit more than just our bullshit about eating muffins. Uh, we... <laughs> are going to try and answer some of the questions that uh, come to us over our social media page. Um, and yeah, and just kind of get that out to the general public. So Spencer, I believe you're going to bring the question since I did all the work on the actual call today. Okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So one of the, one of our listeners uh, brought up a really good question uh, regarding the, um, Oh, the call with the drunk lady who uh, ended up needing to be restrained to be taken to the hospital. Yeah, um, that was, um, and, I believe, a, a soft touch for a hard hit. All right. So one of our listeners asked about the good cop, bad cop approach mm. uh, when it kind of comes to, uh, we'll call it telling the patient shit that they probably don't want to hear. Yeah. So like um, in the in the soft touch for a hard hit, we had a patient that did not want to go to the hospital, but really, really needed to. And so that's kind of where this question comes from. Yep. And so the, the, the paramedic in that episode had just basically kind of gone like, you know what, I, I, I'm just going to tell the patient what they need, to, you know, that, that they need to go. And the patient reacted badly. And there was some opportunity for the paramedic to kind of, uh, you know, br bring the patient back in under their, under the fold of going to the hospital and being seen. And they were making really good progress with that method until there was an error in execution. Yeah. Yeah. They oversold. I mean, the patient seemed on there. They just kind of kept selling and they really didn't want to do that. Absolutely. So this listener brought up a, and this is a good, you know, this, I like people who kind of, you know, I like it when people think about, you know, other possible solutions to the problem. Right. And so they brought up, what about like a good cop, bad cop situation where you have one provider on scene who essentially just, you know, plays the role of just telling the patient what they don't want to hear letting the other person, uh, you know, it would have been hippopotamus in that um, call, be the, the essentially like the person going like, no, I totally know you don't want to go. Um, I, I think the problem with that 
method is that it's just really hard to pull off it well. Is. It requires some, I think it requires some coordination because you don't want somebody to like push too hard and kind of undo the progress that the good cop is making, you know, or it just, it sort of falls apart. And honestly, the scenario comes up just naturally on its own because inevitably there's always like one provider on scene who's going to say something, do something that's just probably going to like, make the patient unhappy. And that may not even and, really be that provider's fault. Sometimes the patient's just looking to pick someone to not like. Exactly. Um, I, you know, I've been that guy many times. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what I did, but fuck me. Okay. No. Got it. Apparently it was bad. Um, so I don't think generating, trying to generate that kind of conflict is generally uh, a good idea like to trying to add more to that like yeah. to add more um um uh, god damn it what's the word i'm looking for uh conflict like trying to introduce more conflict just so that you seem to you know like you look good or you appear good to the patient it just seems unnecessary yeah um, i think the best thing to do is honestly uh take the steps to just build rapport employ the you know uh tactical listening uh that we talk about in several episodes uh including you know hard hit soft touch and head in the heart and really just kind of using those methods and tr not that way one you don't have to rely on another person to you know perform the uh a role that's rather difficult to pull off um and then yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's more simple. It's more straightforward. So that, that's, that was my thought. There, there was quite a bit to the discussion. Um, uh, but that's, that's sort of my opinion on good cop, bad cop. Chris, do you have any, anything more to add? No, I mean, I just, I just feel it, it's on its nose. It's deceitful. It usually kind of happens anyway. And, um, it's just super hard to pull off effectively. So no, not, nothing but really reiterating what you said, man. I, I agree. I, I think there are times uh, where this sort of thing plays out uh, to this degree, but it's it's not intentional. Like when you have like really young pediatric patients, generally speaking, the person who's going to be with the patient should probably not do any of the painful procedures if they can. You know, like yeah. it's like, oh, hey, we need to check a CBG on a kid and they look, <clears throat> boy, they really look unhappy about all of this. Like maybe if you're going to be in the back, don't be the guy who pokes the kid, um, mm. you know, have your EMT partner or your, you know, paramedic partner or whatever, uh, your partner be the one doing it and then they can be up front and drive. Um, yeah, that's something that I I've done. But beyond that, I, I, I definitely don't try and add more. Um, I, I, I just don't try and I try not to make my job harder. And I feel honestly feel like trying to create that sort of, uh, you know, good cop, bad cop dynamic on scene, which would just fail more yeah. often than it would work. I agree. So 
Well, anyway, let's go ahead and crack into today's call. Before we do a little bit of housekeeping, uh, social media, Facebook, uh, we are EMS 20 slash 20. Instagram is at EMS 2020 show. Please email us at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for all the great review. Yeah, geez. Thanks for all the great reviews, guys. And also, I clearly have a lot of voicemails to make because Spencer was wrong. And you guys reminded us again and again and again. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking so, about, go ahead and listen to our last episode, uh, Going the Distance. So, <laughs> by the way, I've gotten several messages, like text messages, Facebook <laughs> messages, just like, perfect. Can't believe, can't believe you forgot. <laughs> you monsters. You idiot. Um <laughs> And the good news is that's actually the Spencer is wrong. Apparently sets records because so far that is a record setting show in terms of the number of downloads. So anyway, <laughs> of um, course. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely is. It's like the most. Well, Let's listen. do it again. Let me fuck this call up. The, yeah. we'll just watch our numbers skyrocket. Yeah, I actually don't think you'll <laughs> fuck this one up or actually now that I've said that, I really hope you don't. <laughs> um, anyway, so the preface this call. We've had a few episodes on EMS 2020. Uh, the greatest podcast, EMS podcast out there, by the way, um, where <laughs> paramedics have or should have looked past the obvious to find a solution. Uh, in our last episode, responders had to look past, uh, you know, like obvious, obviously just like correcting hypoglycemia and moving on. There were things past that. In Sounds Like a Duck, they had to look at a history uh, to really establish a treatment plan. That was the one where the patient actually was hyper K but it initially kind of looked like VTAC. So today's call is kind of a beautiful illustration on how finding that one thing to fix is not always so upfront. And story really matters. The background story of how someone got to where they are is really important. So this is one of those calls that I think can leave a lot of responders, even good ones, saying kind of that, well, how was I to know sort of quote, you know, when it all unravels. And again, like... Like Spencer, and I often have this amazing advantage from being able to look at the call, you know, usually a few months later from the 40,000 foot level and be like, well, you went wrong there. Um, but this call turns into kind of a cluster and was ultimately flagged for review. So this call was brought to us by someone who's on a peer review committee with their agency and was curious about what we thought. And it's kind of cool because we got a lot more information than we usually do on a call. Like there was monitor data, we have outcomes. So um, it really lets us apply the old uh, 2020 hindsight to this call. Yeah. Oh, anyway, <laughs> so our call. Uh, our service area for today's call consists of a mostly rural area, but it does have a smaller urban-ish area. Uh, hmm. Yeah, like I guess like like a New Yorker would still call the urban area like the country, but someone from, say, like Winslow, Arizona uh, might mistake it for New York. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I don't, you know what? F fuck Winslow, Arizona. We'll burn that market. <laughs> All five of you can turn off and then just go. You had a song. Wow. You had an Eagles song. Where you, was it the Eagles or was it Travis Tritt? I don't know. See, that's how dumb the song is. I don't even know who did it. You had a song. <laughs> but you know, there was a song. <laughs> you know what? The only thing I know is that there is a girl, my lord, on a flatbed Ford slowing down to take a look at me in Winslow, Arizona. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> that is fucking awful, but there it is. So yeah, we're going to burn that market. That one's done. Uh, but anyways, here we go. Uh, our ambulance service is a fire-based service with an EMT basic on board and a paramedic. The EMT has much more field experience than his, than his paramedic partner as he's been with the department in various roles, like from firefighter to, 
engineer to all sorts of stuff for about five years. The paramedic is a newish paramedic with about two years under his belt, uh, but very little time as an EMT basic. And the time that he did have was mostly like BLS transfers, wheelchair stuff, those kind of things. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So not, not a lot of field experience. I, I would say we've talked about the zero to hero route. This is about as close as you can get without being technically zero to hero. So uh, this is kind of how the system is. Uh, once you've become a paramedic, you're going to find yourself as a paramedic in charge quite a bit. There are very few paramedics in the system, and this has kind of led to newly minted medics being placed in charge of many medical scenes. So it's not terribly uncommon to be the only medic on a scene and have a month under your belt. So like, oh, wow. OK, yeah, it's not terribly uncommon. I think I said common. I meant uncommon. So our basic. Oh, I huh, I heard uncommon. So no. my brain autocorrected. We'll have to go to the oh, perfect. Hopefully everyone else did, too. Uh, so <laughs> our basic on this rig is going to be named mustard and our paramedic is going to be named relish. Oh, quick question. Is this a pretty like high volume uh, area or is this do we know? Is it like, you know, they run like knowing the area? I'd imagine like not much, but I don't. No, I I, I'm just saying, like, in two, the reason I ask <clears throat> is because, you know, like two years in a high volume system is a, True. a little bit different of an experience than, say, okay. uh, two oh. years in a low volume system. So in that regard, no, this is not a high volume system. This is not like downtown Portland. This is not like Oakland like this is or D.C. <clears throat> it's yeah, it, it's not that high volume. No. OK, so. Uh, right. So. All right. Back to mustard. Right. Back to mustard. And the paramedics name is relish. So they are dispatched to a very well-known care home. Um, and it is not well known for any of the right reasons. Uh, I'm familiar. I, I'm not familiar with like the legal requirements for staffing are in a lot of these places, just to be upfront with everyone out there. If someone is, let me know. It'd be awesome to have this discussion. Um, they've never actually seen a nurse there, though they are told they do exist in this facility and are there all the time, but they've never actually seen one. Uh, the care facility considers themselves assisted living, but due to the scarce amount of facilities in the area, they often find themselves with patients that require more than what they can handle. Um, so just kind of a brief overview of what I know about, we'll just generalize, call them old folks homes. You have things like independent living where it's essentially a staffed apartment complex and the people are very, very independent. Maybe they get help with like their medications each day. But other than that, they take care of themselves and there's not necessarily medically trained staff to that level of like a nurse that are there all the time. Then you have assisted living which are people who have more needs and require more assistance. They mean they may need help bathing and getting dressed in the morning. They definitely need help with their meds, those kind of things. Past that, you have things like skilled nursing facilities and rehabilitation facilities that are taking patients usually with something, um, some sort of underlying medical disease that makes them higher risk. And so there's usually a higher level of training in terms of the personnel and staff that are available. So, Based on how this this area is, this isn't necessarily the fault of the assisted living place, but they wind up with patients. They wind up taking patients they probably really shouldn't. And part of that is going to be hospitals wanting to just discharge patients and maybe downplaying what's going on with them so they can get them into the only facility that's open. And the other part of that may be the assisted living facility wants to fill rooms. And so they maybe overlook things and don't turn down what they could. It's probably a combination of both. So, but moving on, 
Today, this facility called for a 76-year-old gentleman who collapsed in the... I don't know if he's a gentleman. Maybe he's a bastard. But for a 76-year-old gentleman who collapsed... Okay, I'm saying funny things and you aren't laughing, so... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm kidding. It actually wasn't that funny. Um, so... I, I'm glad you called it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. I was eating a muffin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, 76-year-old gentleman uh, who collapsed in the cafeteria but is now uh, conscious per the 911 notes. Um, cafeteria or eatery, if you will, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, so, our crew, nice. yeah. so our crew arrives at the facility. They were driving lights and sirens. This is one of those places where it seems to be either the patient has coded and no one at the facility realizes it, uh, or they are just trying to get Fred to the ER because it's the weekend and he can't see his usual doctor because his office gotcha. is closed. So like, this, this isn't a place where you can be like, oh God, there's definitely something bad here. It's, yeah. it's either bad or it's bullshit. Essentially right. is kind of the exactly. the two B's that it bounces off of. <laughs> Spencer's two B's, batter bullshit. Um, but yeah, and it just ends up being like one of those things that almost makes you nervous as a paramedic because you never know what you're going to walk into. And so our paramedic walks in a little apprehensive just because of that. So they're greeted at the door by a panicked employee. This is believed to be some kind of custodial crew. Uh, they don't really appear to be like a CNA or an RN, uh, but they were wearing scrubs. But a lot of people in these facilities will, no matter what they do. So mm-hmm. uh, they lead him to the patient and Relish notes that the patient, when they get into the cafeteria, is supine, which means on his back. Looks okay, very... So oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So supine, I'm assuming then like on the ground. Yes, Okay. He is supine span between three chairs. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, <laughs> actually, he was on a magician's table. They're about to saw him in half. They were there just in time to see. And that's where the call goes wrong. That's a trauma call. Uh, but anyway, so he's a supine on the floor, looks super pale and has Dijon, who we will later find out is a med aide taking his blood pressure. So, uh, as they approach this patient, and by the way, here's the thing. Uh, so, due to the patient's appearance, uh, right off the bat, Relish pulls the trigger and adds another fire resource to get three to four additional responders, most likely going to be all EMT basics, um, but they were initially just dispatched as an ambulance only, which in this area is common even for Code 3. They'll send just the ambulance. So, okay. uh, he radios, says, hey, we need to add an engine to this, and that's just based on the skin color alone. Now, here's the thing. It can be super hard to judge skin tone sometimes. That's not as straightforward as you might think. And I have to tell this story because I walked into a house and was positive the guy that answered the door was the patient because he was so pale. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? And he's like, it's my mom that you're here for. I'm like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) let's go to the mom. Uh, But the thing was, is the guy just, he was just super pale and uh, just kind of talking to him. I found out that he works night shift. And so I'm assuming he's just pale because he works night shift, sleeps during the day. And yeah, but he's just a super pale, pasty guy. He's always like this. There is nothing wrong with him. However, there are certain levels of pale that you just don't get naturally. And that is the level of pale that this guy is at. Oh, gotcha. Well, then I totally approve of uh, calling in backup. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so he's just like, nah, let's do it. Um, Skin don't lie. Yeah. (laughs) Near do hips. So, Relish approaches the patient and Dijon and asks for the story. Dijon replies with, this is Mr. Ketchup. He was eating breakfast here when other residents sitting with him uh, told us that he was like kind of grabbing and like pounding on his chest. Uh, So we sent him away and like we got his nitro. And then Relish kind of goes, "Uh, okay. So Relish at this point, 
is kind of scrambling in his head to find that foothold that so many of us look for when we start doing an assessment. And Spencer, like, you know, the foothold I'm talking about. And that foothold is essentially what is my treatment? Where do I start? Yeah. Where do I start looking? Exactly. Where do I start looking now? Actually, and actually, I'm I'm really glad. So you kind of jumped ahead of what I wanted to say, but you did so very perfectly. So Spencer's an an experienced paramedic. I'm going to talk about this point later. What you need, a lot of people will try and establish a foothold by saying, what do I need to start doing? That is a very new medic thing to do. I need to start doing something. What am I going to do? Spencer's been a medic, I don't know, almost a year now. And now he's doing a podcast. (laughs) And... (laughs) Um, anyway, but Spencer's been a medic for like over a decade. And so Spencer's like, all right, well, where do I start looking? Where do I start assessing? And one of the things that I'm going to talk about later is you need to do not train to treat, train to assess, be better at assessing than anything else. Now you do need to know your protocols on how to treat somebody. That's absolutely true. But your protocol book, you can know that back to front. If you're not good at assessing most protocol books or patient care guidelines do not tell you how to assess a patient. They just tell you what to do once you've assessed a patient. So protocols are important. Learning how to assess somebody appropriately is more important than anything else you do as a paramedic. We'll get to that later, but we're going to move on for now. Good job, Spence. So, hey, um, Spencer was right. Go ahead and uh, put that there. And Spencer will check a CBG right now. (laughs) (laughs) They actually never do. Um, But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it doesn't. Anyway, so, um, yeah. So Dijon's like, yeah, Mr. Ketchup eating breakfast. Other residents are like, hey, he's grabbing and pounding his chest. And uh, we kind of sent them away from the table to make room. And we went and got his his nitro because he has nitro. So Relish is like, all right, trying to find that foothold. Uh, So he does what he should, which is good. And he starts right at the top of the NREMT assessment paper and says, and just starts. Yes, I've seen safe. Yeah, just out loud. And then a number of patients won. Um, And so he starts assessing the level of consciousness of the patient. He says, hey, Mr. Ketchup, can you hear me? And he kind of does like the whole tap and shout. And uh, Relish kind of finds the following on that exam. So the patient responds to like painful stimuli, but it's otherwise huh. responsive. His, his response is mostly like a withdrawal. So basically, he sternal rubs the guy and the dude twitches. Like that's gotcha. that's about what he gets. There's nothing. There's no verbal. The eyes are, are just kind of like glazed over. So Spence, we have an altered LLC patient. Dining area, terrible looking skin. What is the very next thing that you, Spencer Oliver, most okayish paramedic that I know, would do? I mean, obviously, we got to check a blood sugar. Right. <laughs> Just above all else, stat. Uh, no, when. I mean, at this point, I mean, there, there's just I, I'm I'm casting out a wide net. Yeah. I, I want to get the cardiac monitor on. I want to, you know, like I want to get a set of vitals. I just kind of want to see what shows up on their physical exam. Um, you know, check pupils. I, I'm just, there's a, there's kind of a long list of, of things that I want to do. Yeah. And, and part of that is also like, okay, so he grabbed his chest. Does, you know, like, can you tell me about that? Is that a normal thing for him to do? Or is that an unusual thing for him to do? You know, like, the, essentially the problem I have is that the person who, who can tell me, uh, about the patient, since the patient obviously can't tell me themselves, is the is the person right there? Yeah, uh, who have unfortunately been sent away by the med staff. Oh, hold on. Uh, 
who the relish got sent away is no, uh, wait, no, no, which no, no, one's no. uh no sorry i when you were talking so you just said that the people who can tell you the most about the patient are the people who were right there i thought you were referring to the bystanders that were around him when this happened oh yeah no i mean that's that's a possibility <clears throat> too i was okay. thinking of the care provider but yeah no like the the witnesses there would would totally make sense as well yeah. i mean I, I there's some presumptions here like is this like the dementia, the, the dementia unit? Right. Like, you know, like it, it's is, not a is dementia withdrawing unit. from pain normal for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so I just, there's a, a, I know less information than I would be at all comfortable with. So sure. I just need to gather that information. So your next step is start, start getting information. Perfect. So what, I mean, exactly. like, just looking at him though, like, what are you calling his chief complaint at this point? I mean, it's, it's going to be altered mental status to be determined. Gotcha. You know, okay. So like I, because I don't have vitals. I, so there's nowhere to really start until I can start I- identifying those life threats. Right. So, so you're I see that he's pale. At, yeah. Yeah. So you're going to start looking for why, why the hell is he pale and start, start getting, basically you're going to start getting vital signs. Exactly. Okay. So, and, and for sure. So relish is kind of in the same path. He's seeing the altered LOC and he's really thinking this is coming from hypotension, given the limited information that he has just kind of based on skin. And he kind of gets right to trying to resolve what he is already seeing as hypotension, which, as you pointed out, he kind of is going down the hypotension route without much other evidence. So uh, Relish then asks Mustard to get a set of vitals as Relish throws on the three lead. So as the crew continues their assessment, Dijon becomes a little bit perturbed that no one else has asked her anything else. And the crew seems to be kind of like walking over her. She's a medical professional, damn it, and should be treated as such. And here's the thing. She's right. She actually should be. There are limits, but uh, Dijon begins to kind of loudly tell the crew what she observed and the actions that she took without them asking for it anyways. Uh, that said, though, I will give Relish some credit here. Uh, he does perk up and listen to her as he's doing his assessment, which is good because story matters. Um, and he's actually pretty apprehensive about this call. And again, he's still kind of looking for that foothold. Like, what do I need to do? Uh, so Dijon states, Hey, so like what happened was one of our servers was flagged over, uh, by the other residents at ketchup's table. When the server came over, the other residents said that they noticed that the patient had slid himself away from the table, just kind of like pushing back and was kind of like pounding on his chest. And then he kind of clutched his chest and he looked flush. And then he kind of took a breath and then just said, all right, and just kind of resumed talking and kind of scoot himself back to the table. Like everything was okay. But then after a few moments, the patient then started remained pretty flush and got really quiet and kind of somnolent. So the other residents asked the server, you know, like, Hey, like he was grabbing at his chest. He needs his nitroglycerin. So, that is when I come into the picture. I, Dijon. Uh, I checked his blood pressure and gave him his nitroglycerin. Then he started to slump forward, so I put him on the ground, and I was going to give him another nitro, but I can't get a blood pressure right now. So, huh. yeah, so what? what's your... Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it, the sentence sounds weird. That last kind of statement about the nitro, doesn't it? Yeah, I was going to say that uh, I guess my question to this person would have been, what was their blood pressure? That's an amazing question. And um, Relish had the same question. So and he doesn't really want to ask because he's kind of worried based on how pale this guy is about what the answer is going to be. But he says, hey, Dijon, uh, what was his blood pressure before you gave him the nitro? You said you checked it. And he goes, yep. Or Dijon says, yes, his Mars states that his blood pressure has to be checked before nitroglycerin. And Relish says, yeah, but like, what is the blood pressure? 
And she says, oh, 74 over 54. Oh, shit. <laughs> so now, in all fairness, Dijon did precisely what the MAR stated to do. Uh, according to the QI committee that looked this up, the MAR literally said on it, with no limits listed, just a note from a physician saying, check the patient's blood pressure prior to giving nitroglycerin, but did not say what the blood pressure needed to be at. Just said, check it. <laughs> and so she did exactly what she was supposed to do. She checked the blood pressure and then dropped the nitro. And thank God she couldn't get another blood pressure because she wanted to drop another one. Um, so, oh. yeah, that's what she, when they walked in, she was taking a blood pressure, trying to give a second nitro. Um, so, Relish kind of stammers and he's like, okay, you gave, wait, what? Okay. All right. I, I need a copy of the MAR and I need a pulse form if he has one. Dijon stands up to go get the requested paperwork and Mustard announces the vital signs that he now has. Heart rate. And, oh, good. Oh, sorry. I was going to say real quick, by the way, pulsed form for those not really in the know, it's basically just like an advanced care directive. Uh, usually has like DNR information or like uh, what kind of interventions the patient should want should they not be able to advocate for themselves. Like, we should you know, do an episode case, that involves, we should, I hope someone sends a good like DNR case because that'd actually be something good to review for everybody. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. So hey, if anyone has a case out there where there's a, uh, where a DNR comes into play and confuses things, let us know. We'd like to hear about it. Yes. So, all, all right. right. Back to the vitals. Back to the vitals. So heart rate is 46 and uh, reported as a regular, um, Blood pressure unable to obtain. Uh, the monitor comes back at question mark, question mark, question mark over 46. I'm kidding. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, SpO2, not able to obtain it. And EKG, so there's a sinus Brady that's slightly irregular, varying between the 40s and 50s. But P waves are present, and there's a first degree AV block uh, noted as well. Uh, Interesting. All right, Spencer, what are you thinking now? Now that you get you, so okay. you got a set of vitals, you got your pale guy. What, what are the things that pop out to you? Well, I think yeah, at this point, uh, I'm going to present, I mean, we, we need to support oxygenation, respiration. Um, I, you know, uh, yeah. I, I think those are kind of crucial steps to take. Uh, I'd also want to prioritize getting access, uh, just because I do have, now it seems like I have life threats. I have a, a BP that I, you know, presumably would not be able to obtain. I'd want somebody to confirm that with like a actual stethoscope or excuse me, uh, blood pressure cuff versus the auto cuff, uh, yeah. since the auto cuff failed. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd, I, I, I kind of want to hear him. I, you know, like I, I want to hear more of the story, but I'm now I'm thinking kind of cardiac and I want to go down 12, you know, I want to explore like doing a 12 lead because this sounds very like STEMI ish, you know, okay. um, with what are some indicators? heart rate and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, so for you, like the heart rate, this is starting to look like, like a stomach call. Plus he had the, the clutching of his chest earlier. What are your thoughts on like the nitroglycerin to a hypotensive patient at this point? Cause I have my thoughts, but I also know how this ends. So I'm just kind of curious on your oh, thoughts in terms of like, was that a good thing to do for this patient? Do you think, the, do you think uh, it's the cause of our problem? I, I mean, it could, it probably didn't help. Um, you know, I think the cause happened Prior to the nitroglycerin, I don't think the nitroglycerin is a. I, I think the nitroglycerin is a complication that yeah. got thrown onto the problem. But I, I mean, I'm given the heart rate and the the vitals and like the history that I've heard, where he you know pounded his chest. 
and now has a really slow heart rate and shitty blood pressure and shitty skin signs. This this sounds remarkably like a pretty like big stemmy. Gotcha. Uh, maybe took out like you know like like a, a right sided to you know took out the sinus node so that it's you know anyway yeah yeah no, this is uh, that's where I'm going and I'm excited. Okay, so yeah, so um. Relish kind of tends to disagree with you, but I I think we're going to be able to say hashtag relish is wrong this time around. So so relish goes down the hypotension route. I mean, like we all should. He wants to correct that. And he kind of stammers on whether or not he wants to pace this patient uh, with the heart rate of 46 and symptomatic bradycardia um, who is unstable. But he kind of feels like he knows the reason why. And he kind of focused on the fact that the guy just had nitro. So he feels that the patient is substantially vasodilated, which could be true, and wants to give fluid and possibly a presser to resolve that issue. So and also note per Relish's protocols, the only presser that they give is dopamine. And they typically give it through a burette like microdrip said they don't have a pump. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's a little more a little more med math. Yeah, a little, little more med math, but I mean, he's got, I'm, I'm sure their protocols have like a cheat guide, or at least I hope they have a cheat guide. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So at this moment, right around this moment, the additional crew arrives and Relish hasn't really done anything. He just has this patient that's sick and he kind of doesn't know what he wants to do. But right now, what oh. he's thinking is he's had nitro. <clears throat> He's vasodilated, so my container's too big. I just need to dump more fluid into that container, and that's going to fix this problem. What what has happened is this guy's been given nitro when he shouldn't have been given nitro, um, which re- relish is wrong. We'll talk about that later, but um, there's kind of some reasons I think most of our listeners have already probably pried on to why relish is kind of wrong to go that route. Um, I mean, he's not wrong to want to give fluid. I think fluid's fine, I think. But focusing on nitro being the only problem, I think, is where he goes wrong. I think there's other priorities. That, yeah. That's that, that's where I like it, Like, this is something that probably should happen, but it's not the priority of what needs to happen. Yeah. So it consists of two EMT basics. The additional crew that comes in is two EMT basics and surprisingly, another paramedic. Uh, this oh, wow. is a par- Yeah. This is a paramedic written called guacamole. And <laughs> his two basics are mayo and tartar. So guac is a Loving the theme, right? Uh, I just had to dip into these names. So guac is a very, <laughs> very new. I'm sorry. You tried to slide that one right by me, but I fucking I? got it. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, so guac is a very, very new paramedic, uh, fresh out of testing. And you would think guacamole would have a chip on his shoulder, but he does. Okay. I'll cut that. <laughs> That's even worse. Uh, but he's a very, very new paramedic, like fresh out of testing new, like legit. It has only been a few months since the state has given him the all clear. So okay. well, he is new, new of new, which sometimes is almost better. But uh, so relish goes ahead and gives like the choppiest of reports to the oncoming crew as you possibly could. Like, like it was just miserable from what was reported in the incident reports it was pretty much just kind of like yeah uh the guy's like pale and he was given nitro and i'm thinking we need to give maybe fluid and like some pressors and like you know he's not really doing a great job of giving that report and so guac just kind of interrupts and says hey man uh is he responsive and like does he have a pulse because the guy looks super pale and is not moving and so then uh relish and mustard kind of have that oh shit kind of like Oh, stop. And then the mustard kind of snaps over to the guy and puts his hand on the patient's carotid and notes. Yeah, there's no pulse. It's gone. 
So, oh no. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's bad. Uh, so the patient is also entirely unresponsive. Guac takes over now and starts running the code calling out like, Hey, PA code 99, let's do this. And so he assigns relish. He says, go ahead and get access. Once you get access, you're going to be on meds. Uh, at this point, relish kind of just slinks back into his position and goes to try and get access, letting guac just kind of have his way with the call. I, I'm actually really impressed with guac because uh, you don't usually I like I don't usually see this behavior with newer paramedics. No, not at all. But I mean, on the calls that I go on, <laughs> which I guess that sort of ruins my sample because like I'm always there. But yeah, that's, I, that's true. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't often see like new medics really like like taking that role of PIC and like assigning roles. So I'm, I'm very impressed right now. It, it um, kind of makes me almost wonder And this, this might be, you know, it makes me wonder is I've seen this happen. Usually when you have, when the other paramedic has maybe a reputation, newer paramedics will then feel more comfortable about standing up because, you know, it's not like they are going up against someone who is revered by the department. They're going up to someone who is like not revered and they think something mm. needs to change. And so they're a little more comfortable making those calls against someone who maybe has a reputation for not being the best as opposed uh, to someone who gotcha. does. So that doesn't nah, make me wonder. Um, but that again, like that's just me just spitballing here. I have no fucking idea. For all I know, yeah. maybe Guac is just super solid. So uh, Guac then continues to say, hey, Mustard, Mayo, you guys are going to be on the airway. Uh, just drop a King. Uh, Tartar, you're on compressions. So after right. King Airway is placed, uh, he then moves Mayo uh, into the CPR rotation and leaves Mustard to bag. So Relish struggles with getting access and is unable to get access by the two-minute mark. Uh, Guac hones in on getting access, uh, attempting a third IV and failing before they both assemble or before they both assemble and then place uh, a tibial uh, IO. So yeah, they place that TBIO. So I'm going to take a brief pause really quick here. And I want to bring up a point that was kind of brought up um, by the person who gave us this call while they were struggling to get access. They kind of blew past that first two minute mark. Uh, so when you typically run a code 99 uh, for those that are really initiated, you kind of do this two minute timing thing. Okay. So you do CPR for two minutes, then you analyze the rhythm and you only do that for a couple seconds. And then you do another CPR for two minutes and every two minutes, you're either defibrillating them or pushing a drug. Um, sometimes you're not pushing a drug depending on what the rhythm is, but basically you're doing everything in kind of these two minute rounds. And these guys kind of end up blowing right past the two minute mark trying to get IO. And we, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, and that is not trying to keep your head above water as a PIC. When you get involved in an intervention like an IV or intubation, it's kind of like dunking your head below water. And you do whatever you got to do. But while you're underwater, all you can focus on is what it takes to stay underwater, uh, holding your breath, not floating, you know, like those kind of things. And then you pop your head back up. <laughs> then you pop your head back above water and you got to re-get your bearings again because everything's been going on above water. You have not been able to observe. Well, you don't want to do that as a PIC. And that kind of happened in the, in the case of placing this IO um, or trying to get the, the IV. Personally, I feel that like, hey, once you once uh, Relish didn't get the first IV, he should just grab the IO gun and gone for it instead of having two medics try and attempt more IVs to finally just get a tibial IO. I'm not a fan of tibials, to be honest. I, I think they flow like crap. Um, I really like humoral IOs, but that's a that's just a personal yeah. preference there. Um, now, here's the thing about this. Yes, I feel like they got a little bit underwater, 
but I'm going to kind of give them some leeway and probably more credit than they deserve. Um, unless they missed a fibrillation or a pulseless VTAC at that two minute mark, there wasn't anything to be done until they got a line anyway, because the next step for this guy was going to be drugs. So, okay. Yeah, that's valid. You know, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, should, like, should the PIC have dove in there? Uh, no, well, ideally he should not have. Um, I, good. Uh, I will say like, yeah, cause the, <clears throat> Well, I, it's very possible like this guy goes into like a V-fib arrest. You know, it's, that's typical like cardiac. So, you know, like watching the monitor and, and just because they're doing compressions, you like some monitors have like pads that'll see through the compression so you can see like the underlying rhythm. Um, so there's, there is a feasibility that they were seeing the rhythm. They saw that it was PEA and they prioritized getting access. But if they exactly. didn't, then they might have missed that window where early defibrillation might have been the best thing. And then to, you know, keep trying to get access after that. But I, I, by the way, totally on board with the humoral head IO. Like just, yeah, yeah go humoral head. Just cut right there. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, but yeah, that's just kind of my two bits on it as absolutely like they, you don't want the PIC to get their head underwater. I think in this case, I mean, it looked like it maybe delayed them getting back on track for like a minute and they didn't end up missing anything. And, and like Spencer said, it's entirely feasible that they were checking it just kind of in that roundabout way of being like, hey, look, I can see through the compressions. I'm seeing QRSs go by like that are not the compression. Like, I know it's not BFib, <clears throat> so I'm going to work on this. And that's probably where I'm giving them more credit than they've really earned because, you know, they didn't really document anything like that, or at least we weren't given that info. But anyway, so thankfully, though, even both both the paramedics essentially kind of stopped leading the scene. The EMTs did continue providing compressions the entire time and bagging through the King Airway. Uh, the EMT bagging through the King Airway did note uh, this was after the fact that after this chart was reviewed, by the way, did not note this on scene. Uh, he did note this was mustard that it seemed like the bag was making a lot of noise. It was making kind of that sonorous like too much pressure against the valve noise with every single breath. If you've ever taken oh. a BBM, yeah. So if you've ever taken a BBM and you squeeze it too much, it'll eventually go like, or it'll go like, like that. That's a relief valve saying there's too much pressure and you don't need to bag that much. Um, he was saying he didn't like, even if you bagged a little bit, it would do that. It seemed like it just kept doing it no matter what he did. Um, but again, he kind of brings that up after the fact. Yeah, so keep that in mind. I think Spencer's probably cluing in here, but uh, keep keep it to your fucking self. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so they get back to leading the scene. Uh, the EMTs did a great job. Guac returns to his PIC uh, position and immediately requests a CPR pause for a rhythm check. Uh, organized rhythm without a pulse is noted and PEA is declared, so Guac orders Relish to deliver a round of epi through the IO and CPR continues. The code is ran in a pattern like so. After that first epi, they do CPR for two minutes. They check. They're going to call it PEA again. Uh, PEA, by the way, stands for pulseless electrical activity. That's where you have electrical activity on the monitor that is organized but not generating a pulse. CPR goes on for another two minutes. They check. It's PEA again. And they go ahead and give their second epi. CPR goes on for another two minutes. And they check. And they see an organized rhythm that's no longer bradycardic. Appears to be the same rhythm that it was, but it's now in like the 90s. They check for a pulse. They find a pulse. So, okay. Spence, where are you at with this patient? What do you want to do now? So, I mean... <laughs> Here's what I want to do, given the information that was given after the call. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to check his airway because there's there's two, you know like one the guy is sitting in the sitting at a table is suddenly clutches his chest and then kind of like I you know if I I don't know if that there's a possibility of choke although choking seems weird since he was 
sort of fine afterwards. So I don't, I'm, mm, that's, that's weird. I want to check his airway and just yeah. like to make sure that that's good. I, I think we need to pull out the king and actually do like a, a real, you know, like intubation, laryngoscopy. Mm-hmm. Let's just see if I weren't in that and I just gotten Rosk, uh, I'd, you know, and I didn't know that the the person bagging was having a hard time. I I mean, I, honestly, prior to that bit of information, I was like, "All right, cool, Rosk. Let's get a twelve lead. Let's stabilize the patient. Like, take five minutes just to make sure that they don't rearrest and prepare them for transport." And I I agree with your route. I will stay into the twelve lead before we transport. Um, I I think that that that's that, and I think that's kind of becoming a norm. They did things a little bit differently. I think part of it, too, is whenever there's that, hey, I just saw this guy alive and now he's dead. It kind of amps you up a little bit. And so I think oh, yeah. Relish is kind of like, go, 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 go. Uh, but anyway, so the crew then preps the patient for transport instead. So they get Ross. They're like, hey, let's get going. They don't do anything else okay. on yeah. scene. Glock and Relish both kind of come up with a plan. They're like, all right, let's get the patient to the gurney, gurney to the ambulance. And then once we get to the ambulance, we're going to do we're going to just jump right into getting a 12 lead and reassess vitals. So the 12 lead is planned at this point. It's planned. So the trip out to the rig is short. It's uneventful. The dining area is quite close to the entrance. So it's just a hop, skip and jump. Uh, the patient is loaded and mustard heads to the front uh, to drive while Guac and Mayo jump in the back uh, with Relish. And then Tartar uh, drives the fire rig behind them to pick up the crew. So Relish notes that the patient's AR is starting to go to uh, AR. The patient's, the, the patient's heart rate is uh, in the low 60s. Uh, and mustard begins applying the 12 lead while relish starts placing the pulse locks and the BP cuff on the patient. The BP cuff is cycled and comes back at question mark, question mark, question mark, <laughs> over question mark, question mark, question mark. I hate all the fucking question marks. I right? like just, just one. You need one. Just one is side. fine. But actually, no, you know what I want? If you're going to do three question marks, occasionally throw a number in there. Like I want to say like question mark five question mark over question mark, question mark one. And then you just got to figure out like what comes before the one. I like it. You know anyway, what? I like that one. There yeah. we go. If you're going to have three, at least make it fun. So uh, Mayo, uh, one of the EMTs in the back, uh, goes to cycle the cuff again, which, by the way, no, 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 This is fine. It's the random number generator. It's basically it's just a it's just a dice roll. It's good because it'll come back and everything will be fine. There's nothing saved or it doesn't, or you get question mark, question mark, question mark over question mark, question mark, question mark a minute later. But here's the thing. Relish at this point sees the, the, the question mark blood pressure and is like, Oh fuck. And he goes to check a pulse and there's no pulse. So the code continues again as a PEA code. The patient receives two more rounds of epi before it becomes an asystole code. The patient then uh, receives another two rounds of epi before being transferred over to the ER. The ER starts working the patient uh, for a little bit and they pull the king airway and they go to place an ET tube and guess what they find? They find stuff. They find food. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He had, he did, he did have an obstructive airway, uh, an obstructed airway. And so, yeah, I, I so man, that's that's tricky. Um, and here's why, because all of this stuff spells cardiac like it his does. blood pressure being low before she gave him nitro. Um, yeah, his heart rate being low. Like, I, I mean, I don't know that his heart rate was low before she gave the nitro, but she said her the first blood pressure she took from the guy before giving him the nitro after he had the event was seven seventy four 
right? 74 yeah. over 54? Yeah, se- yeah, 70s over, and sucky over sucky, yeah. What? Uh, well, so there's a couple things that could be going on here. So let's kind of back up. There's a lot of lessons here. Um, here's the biggest thing that sucks. Without really knowing, the problem is to really know exactly what happened, you would need subjective information from the patient who is dead. You're not going to get it. Um, yeah. There's a couple things for me, again, having this wonderful hindsight position. He wasn't described is great. He did clutch his chest, but he did a pounding on his chest. And whenever I think of someone pounding on their chest, I think, you know, someone takes a fist and they King take Kong. Yeah. Well, no, that's not what I think. I think the guy that's got it. No, uh, kind of just one hand has a damsel in distress in the other hand. Uh, but no, I think of the guy that's like, he's making a fist and he's got the top part of his fist where the thumb is. And he's kind of doing like the, <clears throat> and like pounding himself on the sternum. That's what I think when I think pounding on the chest. Oh, and to me, like, like, okay. Like, like, like he's got some shit out of my chest because it hurts me. Kind of <laughs> exactly. a pounding. Exactly. Versus like Levine's sign, which is like that, that fist just kind of clutched into the chest. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Th- th- this yeah. is kind of, so, so there's that, but I mean, that is such like, that's not enough to go on. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I heard someone that I would be like choking, like I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, crack them. You know, like that's not where I'd go. Yeah, sure. Um, but like, it's uh it is kind of a difference. Um, one of the things that relish focused in on, and I'm going to talk about why relish was wrong. Uh, so let's, let's talk about relishes kind of fuck ups here. So earlier in the episode, I had said, uh, do not train to treat train to assess. And here's kind of where relish went, went wrong. And this is kind of a new paramedic thing. There's a large pressure when you are a new paramedic to do something, to do an intervention that is a pretty monumental pressure. And so a lot of, Uh, newer paramedics tend to try and jump down that path as fast as they can. And that's where relish got stuck is he looks, he's like, all right, I know this guy is pale. I I know he's hypotensive without really knowing the guy's hypotensive. Like he said, Spence, he hadn't really done much digging by the time he's like, Oh, this is hypotension. And he's hypotensive because he's altered. Uh, And he just kind of started jumping on. Well, what do I do next? Do I need to pace this guy? Like, what are we, where are we going to go from here? Yeah. If you approach the scene in a way of like, okay, I need to learn how to assess and kind of find things from there. And honestly, this is one of those where the straight up uh, national registry of emergency medical technician approach would have been great. So if you went ahead and started out with, Hey, all right, we're going to do LOC ABC, just like they have on the form level of consciousness. Shit. All right. Airway, th- uh, you know, ABC. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to open this guy's airways part of my assessment. And I'm going to check that right there might've had a different outcome for this patient. So that is kind of my caution right there is you need more than anything else, get really, really good at assessing patients and casting that wide net. Uh, knowing your protocols is fine and dandy, but if you can't figure out when to actually use those protocols, it doesn't really help you. And it's the same thing for knowing skills. You know, you always got those paramedics that are great at finding IVs or they're great at intubation and all that stuff. But if you can't assess appropriately on when to get those things and when to use those things, they don't matter. And honestly, it kind of leads to more calls going astray because you find a, you know, having people trying to find reasons to crike a guy uh, instead of actually <laughs> assessing to see if the crike is needed, you know. So anyway, that's just kind of my word of caution here uh, on a physiological side. Here's kind of the running theory for what happened to this guy. And keep in mind, this is just an idea of what might have happened um, without subjective information. It's not really possible to know. So one of the things, so Spencer, I'll just ask you, we carry atropine in a lot of our rapid sequence innovation kits. Why do we carry atropine? 
because uh, occasionally you can, you know, like the act of trying to pass an ET tube or even just performing the laryngoscopy can uh, like trigger a vagus, like the vagus nerve and uh, slow everything down. Yeah. You, know, you can. Yeah. And it slows the heart rate down. Yep. So. And there are a couple of clues that that was probably what was indicated what was what happened. So here's the thing that we do know objectively. Objectively, the guy had a foot had food obstructing his airway. So very, very likely the event of him clutching his chest and becoming flushed um, is probably due to the fact that he's choking on food. So I would say it's a safe bet to assume that that event was him choking on food. Uh, and just like trying to pass an ET tube through that area, trying to pass pancakes through that area can also cause a vagal response. So the running theory is that what happened with this guy is he had a partial obstruction. And at first he sw- he kind of ate it and he's like, <clears throat> kind of steps back and then he gets it and he kind of resumes talking, but then he gets quiet again. So it was probably a partial obstruction that then turned into a full obstruction. Nurse arrives to a guy who is vagaling. And the big indicator that he was vagaling is the fact that his heart rate is low. And this is kind of something that Relish seemed to miss. What Relish really focused on was the fact that the nurse came in and found a guy who was hypotensive and then gave him a nitro. And then the guy, of course, passed out. Um, But uh, what Relish seemed to forget is that the guy was hypotensive before the nitro was ever given, which is something you clued in on right away, Spence. Like, you're just like, well, no, like this problem started before the nitro. Whatever was wrong was wrong prior to the the nitroglycerin being given. Yeah. So, and that's what Relish just kind of seemed to forget uh, in this call. And he really focused on, I think what it was is that the nitroglycerin thing happened and he was so shocked by the fact that this guy got, this hypotensification got nitroglycerin that he just focused on that. And yeah, one of the big indicators there to me that this was more than nitroglycerin was something else that you also clued in on, and that's the bradycardia. So if it was just purely nitroglycerin, although there is, so there is, is an association of a slight drop in heart rate with nitroglycerin when administered to patients who are already hypertensive and tachycardic. However, when administered to patients who are not hypertensive and tachycardic or normotensive, when administered for angina, you typically see a a slight increase in heart rate if the blood pressure drops, just because that's what your heart does. Baroreceptors around your body say, hey, pressure's low, heart speed up, and the heart speeds up to fix it. So if you go on somebody and they're bradycardic, that's not a normal response to too much nitroglycerin. And that should have been a big clue right there that this is not, the problem is not the nitroglycerin. Again, like you said, it's a complication. It did not help, but... (laughs) <laughs> it was not the problem. Um, so yeah. to me, that was kind of a big indicator right off the bat that this, that the nitroglycerin wasn't the problem. Um, so yeah. the idea here is that this guy ate some food. It caused a vagal response. Uh, he got some nitro, which may or may not have even made a difference, honestly. Um, and his blood, go ahead. Yeah. I can't imagine it helping. I, that's this yeah. Is my, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> my non expert opinion on that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it helped him. Uh, and then what probably ended up happening is we just saw um, his heart get sick from being hypoxic is basically probably the route this went down is that uh, his partial occlusion turned into a full occlusion. And now you have a heart that was probably initially bradycardic due to a vagal response and is now going to be bradycardic uh, after just being hypoxic and can have generalized ischemia and just dying. And then you have it turn into a code. A couple other things here that I think would have helped is let's talk a little bit about PA and a Sicily codes. We always talk about your H's and T's, right? 
Yeah. So let's kind of talk about this. So H's and T's, if anyone uh, isn't uh, familiar with H's and T's, then you probably haven't been to paramedic school yet because holy fuck, you hear about it all the goddamn time. Um, <laughs> but you have uh, basically the H's and T's are 12 reversible causes. And basically you have seven H's and five T's. And the H's and T's are this. H's and T's is a mnemonic for remembering uh, reversible causes of pulseless electrical activity. And this is the one that probably would have really helped if it was deeply considered is hypoxia. So I would say that if Relish went down the path he did, missing the air, you know, not doing his ABCs like he normally should have, missing the airway, had he then considered the H's and T's or even guac when guac came in, guac didn't do it either. So I'd like to think that if they saw the hypoxia part in the H's and T's, that would have clued them in to be like, okay, could he be hypoxic? And then consider the rest of that story, that, that story of the fact that it happened while eating and that could have kicked in there. So there's a lot of other H's and T's uh, going over each and every one. I think it's a little bit out of the scope of this uh, particular episode. Um, but yeah. uh, just go ahead. All you have to do is go to um, Google and just write literally H's and T's and click the first thing that comes up. It's from American Heart Association and it's all right there. So uh, that <laughs> is uh, pretty much all I have for this call. A little bit of a shorter one. I think we're going to come in right around the hour mark on this one, which is kind of normal. But hey, we gave you guys two huge ones recently. So, yeah, uh, yeah don't be greedy. I, Anything I, else for this I, call, Spence? I think the only other the only other comment uh, that I have, one, get a CBG. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, obviously. Uh, which uh, is actually one of the H's, hypoglycemia. So, yeah, boom. Um, I think there's probably a better way to get report. Like I, I saw the, you know, the, or I listened as you were kind of describing their like, uh, deal with, uh, Dijon. Yeah. Uh, who was the med aide who gave the nitroglycerin. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's but just, she checked the blood pressure just like she was supposed to. <laughs> she did check. She, thank, thank God for that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, I find is cause I, I don't want the people to like, when I show up, I have a lot of things that I'd like to do and that that med aid is going to be a part of that in that I'll need to get history like, uh, you know, the, the Mar report post form. Like I need that person to kind of be there. Yeah. I don't necessarily need them to be involved right away. So one of the things that I'll do is I'll just tell them like, hey, real quick, I want to hear what you have to say. Let me go ahead and do a quick assessment. And then I want to listen like to the story that you're going to give me. And yeah. you know, like, I'll have questions for you. And that way they know like, okay, I can't leave. And also I don't feel obligated to like try and participate in any way. Cause most of them don't like most, most of them are, you know, med aides, nurses at these care facilities are like very happy to just kind of like wallflower that shit. Oh yeah. Um, they'll they'll but, go find something else to do in a hurry. Yeah. They'll, they'll be like, okay, cool. Uh, awesome. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, that's, that's just like one strategy for handling that. Um, it might've you know, helped get employed here because they might've heard more of the story. Maybe something in the story would have sparked, uh, yeah. you know, um, relish to go like oh man maybe the maybe there's an airway component well so. and i think and i think relish was lucky in this case in the fact that dijon was it, insisted on telling her story um because he could have gotten a lot less like the only reason they got the story they got was because dijon was like hey like listen to me and then like <laughs> stated her case like 
like you said, most of them won't do that. Most of them will be like, man, I'm out, you know, like, uh, so yeah. he kind of lucked out. He could have wound up with a lot less. So anyway, everyone, thanks again for listening to yet another episode of EMS 2020. We're going to keep them coming as long as you guys keep listening. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are uh, EMS 2020 on Facebook. Uh, sorry, EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook. Instagram is uh, at EMS 2020 show. And go ahead and send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And uh, Spencer, I think you have one more thing you want to add. I do. This is really important. So next week call features a 12th lead. And Chris and I are like, oh, man, you know what we should do? We should describe each and every like waveform out. Yeah. In audio form. No, we're because that, that's a fucking <laughs> terrible idea. It's horrible. No one, we, no one should be subjected to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to post the 12 lead from this call that we're reviewing next week on our, uh, this Wednesday, well, like the day that this thing comes out. We're going to take off comments. I'll put a little information on there. And I just want the paramedics or EMTs or whoever, office managers, weigh in. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Tell us what you think um, is going on with this 12 lead. And uh, yeah, let us know. Maybe there'll be a prize. Maybe there, there won't be a prize. There, there definitely will be a prize. And it won't be a cookie. The cookies already have, have been promised out. No one has delivered on the cookie yet, by the way. No. Yeah. And I haven't done voicemails for anybody yet. But but God, damn it, we will. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing time. And uh, Spencer, awkwardly lead us out. Mm-bop, ba-dop, ba-dop, mm-bop, dip-a-dop, dip-bop. Yeah. <laughs>